turn it on, you know, I don't see the light. Hey, welcome back to Bobblehead Podcast for part two of the growth, finding the growth in the struggle. And then uh, if you remember in, in part one, we talked a lot about parenting and um, and how as parents we can help lay that foundation for our kids to become better at overcoming struggle and, and growing. And part two, we're going to dive into how we do that as adults. And, um, you know, Tim and I share some pretty cool stories about um, those formidable years in our lives and, and the techniques that we now employ um, at this point in our lives to become better. So super glad you guys are here and let's get started. Any, I mean, you know, does like, you think you maybe put cocaine in the salt pepper shaker in the salt shaker and just salted it with cocaine? Yeah. I don't know. I, I Can you cook out cocaine? I, t- I don't know enough about it. I, I've, I've, I have, I haven't experimented with that. Have you ever seen new girl? I don't think so. No. When, when Schmidt talks about the, the crack of cane, <laughs> the crack of cane <laughs> taken by the youths, man, <laughs> if you haven't seen, if you haven't seen new girl, it's, it's over. It ended probably five or ten, six, five years ago, something like that. Okay. Um, missed that one. Zoe Deschanel. Okay. Yeah. And she's, it's awesome. Is it's probably it? six or seven seasons long. And it's oh, like wow. every other show that runs that long, it gets a little bit long in the tooth, but yeah, man, it's really good. Is it good? It's hilarious. I'll have to give yeah. it a shot. Yeah. Give it a Thank shot. You. Okay. Are we, are we recording this? I don't know. Are we recording? I guess we are. <laughs> I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting the nod that, yeah, we're recording. So, so yeah. So we're, uh, welcome to, uh, listening and watching into the conversations of Tim and Davin on a normal day. Yeah. It's a, that's it's a, scary. it's a deep, dark, slippery slope. Yeah. There's the, there's some growth within the struggle right there, <laughs> there buddy. It's for sure. <laughs> so speaking of that, let's, let's pick up where we were. We, we just got through, uh, going through part one. Mm-hmm. of talking about, you know, adversity and how we think about that. And, and the main, the main thing we discussed in part one was about, you know, kids and parent parenting. We kind of slid into that about how do we handle that? And how do we teach our kids? And one of the ideas behind that is, is, um, you know, we tend to be emotional when our kid fails or screws up or whatever. And the idea is to, to you to have a mindset so you can teach them a mindset. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think we want to continue with that, but maybe head towards the road of personal, professional. Um, what do we, how do we handle adversity? How do we handle uh, failure? Yeah, I think we did that one a little bit backwards. And, you know, you talked a little bit about your childhood and, you know, I had childhood that was, you know, pretty far on the other, on the other right, side of it. Right. right. And, and was, was pretty fraught with adversity. And I didn't realize later on in life how powerful that that adversity was. And I think when I first realized that Tim, you know, I, I joined the army and, uh, I went to boot camp at Fort Benning, Georgia, and, and it really wasn't as difficult as I thought that it would be. Right. It was, it was strenuous. It was stressful. It was all the things that it should have been, but not to the degree that I expected. And mm. I think maybe in part because, because of my upbringing and I went to airborne school. And again, that wasn't that bad. And then from there I wanted to become an, an army ranger. So I went to, uh, it's called the ranger indoctrination program. It's known now as, as RASP, the ranger assessment selection program. Um, it was four, six weeks long. And, you know, it's, it's really nothing more than just controlled, you know, I don't want to say torture because it sounds bad to say it right. that way, but, you know, they put you through various, you know, um, evolutions yeah. to, to, get you, to get you to quit, right? They really right. are just trying to physically, emotionally, and mentally weed out the people that aren't strong enough to make it into the 75th Ranger Regiment. And, you know, the first week is, is tough, was tough, but then the second week we went to a place on Fort Benning called Coal Range. And if anybody coal like C O L E C O L E coal range, right? And and it's out kind of on the older part of Fort Fort Benning, out I guess on like East Post, um, 
you know, any, any of my army brethren, especially my ranger brethren that are listening to this, just, just uttering the, the word coal range, the words coal range make you like, just, it, it, it gets you in a special really? spot. Did you right? know about this before you went in, by the way? Or was this introduced I'd, I'd, when you I'd heard, in? I'd heard about coal range. I think the closer I got to going to rip, people are like, Hey, just wait till you get to coal range. Yeah. And out there it, it's, it literally was just this big open field and there was a sandbag pit and a road that kind of bisected the range and then another like kind of area, like a pit, if you will, and some tents over on the other side of it. And that's where the instructors all were. And then what you would do is you would, you would alternate between nothing but pure physical activities and doing land navigation, right? One of the big things that they use to weed people out technically is you have the ability to land navigate during, you know, day, daytime, and then hours of limited visibility, you know, over, you know, probably five to six kilometers worth of, worth of rolling terrain and, uh, in, in Fort Benning. And the reprieve from the physical activity was going out on land navigation. You couldn't wait to get, to get out of there because there were logs, there was, you know, running to wood line to pick up sticks. Like it was really genuinely brutal. And a lot of guys, you know, what, what would happen is you'd be going through these physical iterations and they would stop and they'd put you in formation <clears throat> and you're all standing, you know, in your rows and they say, Hey, close your eyes and bow your head. Um, and you do that. If you want to quit, move to the back of the formation and you'd hear, you know, silence for a couple of seconds. Then you'd hear feet shuffling and then you'd hear a whole lot of feet shuffling. Like once one person quit five or six or 10 really? or 20 people would quit almost yeah. automatically behind them. And, you know, I was like, man, this isn't, this isn't fun at all. But you know, it never really crossed my mind in, in the moment to, to ever quit. And I didn't know why. And then there was one night it was land navigation and there were, there were some items that you always had to have on you. And one of them was a two court canteen. It was a soft two court canteen that was slung across your shoulder. Mm-hmm. And that had to be with you everywhere. And the other thing was a sling rope. And that was yeah. for, um, you know, if you had to have, you know, climb or anything like that, you always, they, those were inspectable items. You always had to have them on you. Um, and so I get the points for land navigation and you know, at this, and you also go out, you have a, you know, we call them a rubber duck. It's a fake, fake M4. And that's tied, that's tied to your body because you get tired and you just tend to leave stuff. And I'm out there and I plot my points and I take off and I find my first point and I get under my poncho and I I have my red lens flashlight and I'm looking, I'm like, I'm going to take a drink of water. And I reach over and that two quart canteen's not there. Oh wow. And I'm like, Oh no. Like I and, and it dawns on me in that moment that I left it on the sandbag pit right by the instructor tent where I got my points. Oh. And it has our roster number on it. Like, I know this is, this is a bad, this yeah. is bad, bad, bad. Right. So I finished the points, you know, probably three hours later, I'm back and I turn in my score sheet and they're like, uh, Marceau, uh, where's your two court? Yeah. I'm like, oh man, I don't have it, Sergeant. And they're like, okay. I got something for you. And it had been raining and it was cold. It was February. And so next thing I know, I'm low crawling up and down this gravel road, which if you've never been in the military, it's, you know, like your head is on the ground and like you're literally dragging, simulating what you would do in an open field situation to keep your head from getting shot off. And low crawling through these gravel and through these mud puddles. And I would pick my head up and the instructor would step on my head to push my head back into the water. And this went on for what seemed like an eternity, Tim. And he would crouch down next to me when I was old crawling. He's like, dude, Marceau, just quit, man. You don't, right. ha- you don't have to do this. Right. He's like, look at those guys. And across, they called it the pit of woe, which is where all the candidates, the active candidates still were. And just across that road in the other pit were the people that had quit. And they would order them pizza and they had all their snivel gear on and they had their yeah. sleeping bags. Like they were living the life of Riley as far as we right, were concerned. Right. 
He's like, bro, all you got to do is just quit. Get up there, put a dry uniform on, you know, get up and go and go join those guys. Right. Send you off to 82nd Airborne, 101st, you know, 173rd, whatever. And you, you'll live a good life in the military. Like, you don't have to do this. Yeah. And I didn't appreciate that for what, for like my upbringing. But for, for some reason in that moment, I realized like, this is just making me better. Yeah. And it, and it was like this, this moment of realization that I had that all of the adversity that I was ever going to go through, every push up that I ever had to do, every sprint that I ever had to do, every log that I had to carry was just making me better. Yeah. And so obviously I didn't quit. I got up, you know, after out what seemed like hours of torture, went back and just resumed the regular activity with the rest of those guys. But that was a, it really was one of those watershed moments in my life where I, where I realized that the stuff that's really freaking hard just makes me that much better. Wow. That's huge. And you know, most of the, I think probably what, you know, that was both physical and mental. Oh yeah. It was time, 95% right? mental. And for the most part, and I'm not saying to everyone, cause everyone, there's some people that really go through some really physical difficulties. In fact, one of our, I want to give a shout out to uh, to one of our loyal podcast listener, um, Israel Lewis. Uh, he's been, gosh, he's been in the hospital for upwards of like fifty five days, and um, had a surgery, didn't go well, and uh, man, he's just been in a lot of pain for almost two months, and he's probably one of the most um, positive, thought thoughtful. Um, mind strong mind guys that i've ever known and uh man he's fighting for his life and you know to, to to see someone who's always there for other people and mentally always there and he's a therapist by trade so he gets the mental game um go through physical side of it now you know it's kind of fun to see all the people that he's propped up for years and years and years come to him you know supporting him now but you know, one day I hope he gets to listen to this and know that, man, we're, we're thinking about you and praying for you, buddy. But, um, you know, so much of what you've taught us is what we get and we're talking about in times like this. So, you know, there's sometimes we deal with those physical sides of life that are difficult as well as the mental. But for the most part, most of us deal with just the mental part, the failure, the you know disappointment. I didn't get this job or I lost this deal or, you know, boy, this one, this project didn't go like I thought it would. Um, and dealing with what we feel like is a failure at the end of that. And there's always a sinking feeling that you get when that happens. You know, there's, there's little things that happen. And you're like, dang, man, I wish that wouldn't happen. And then there's the, wow. And, and I, the way, the best way I can describe it is those big moments are when those things happen, the realization hits, your mind almost just blanks out, right? Because it's almost too much for you to even think about how do I handle this? Right. We've all been there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked about in episode one about having, you know, a, a, a playbook and it even helped. We talked about having a playbook for when your kids screw up when the kids fail, but it's also important for us to have a mental playbook for when, when bad things happen and they will, um, is how do I handle that? And how, what steps do I go through in my mind to process this? Because the processing part of this is where, the real wisdom is going to come from the processing of it is where the strength is going to come from. The processing of it is where the growth of us as adults come from. Um, because man, it's the bad stuff's already happened, right? It's there. You can't change it. And to stop and go, okay, let's, let's label this. This was bad. This did not go well. 
and I'm going to allow myself to be upset and be okay for a matter of, you know, different people say five minutes, 30 seconds, whatever it is. For me, it's about 30 seconds because I can move on with things pretty quick. But to just be upset for 30 seconds, then I go, okay, what am I going to do and what am I going to learn from this? And when you do that, it's almost like you get something positive that hits your brain that says something good is going to come from this. I've, I've labeled it. I've said it's bad. It was a failure. It was a terrible thing happened. Now, what good is going to come from it? You know, I think about, you know, last week you guys lost a dog mm-hmm. and you know, it's one thing as a parent and family to lose a dog, but it's nothing for a kid, right? Right. That really hasn't experienced loss. And so you stop and think about that. And as a parent, you're like, Oh man, what a terrible thing. But you and I were able to sit down and talk after the, after the, you know, after the whole thing went down and you were kind of telling me what you went through and how even Peyton jumped in and did some things. And, and so you think about what the kids learned from, you know, Millie and me and gone and think about, they'll always remember what they took away and the things that you said, and the things that you did and things that Lisa said and did, you know, those are things that will last forever that will be embedded in their heart and mind of how do I handle pain? How do I handle loss? How do I handle all over, you know, a family pet, but you know, it's, it's, it's inevitable. We all lose. We all are heartbroken. Um, but how do we handle that loss or how do we handle that failure? Yeah. And something you said about, you know, the small failures, I I think how we learn to react and deal with small failures inevitably teaches how to react and deal with the large failures that are going to come. Right. And, you know, using this, this instance with, you know, Millie, Millie getting killed and it was our 14 year old's dog. You know, those two were, I mean, when you talk about joined at the hip, literally joined at the hip everywhere he went, she went, you know, it was on the side by side or on the golf cart or, you know, in bed or around the house or whatever. Like they were, they were best friends. Right. And so, you know, there's a lot of loss and grief that comes within that, right? But what teaches what teaches him and has taught him to respond the right way to a large, you know, kind of happening in life is how I respond to the side by side being muddy, right. or how I respond to the trash not being taken out, right? Or how his mom responds to his bed not being made, right? right? Those those little failures, those seemingly innocuous failures, how we respond to them as parents emotionally, or do we respond logically and again assign the appropriate consequence for the appropriate action, but allow them to express their opinion on the matter too. Right. They have a voice, they have feelings, they have emotions as well, and allow them to appropriately resp- you know, respond to your emotion also teaches them and gives them the foundation to be able to respond to these, these catastrophic situations that they go through. Right. Right. And so, you know, I think it's important for us to understand how much growth there is in those seemingly small failures that we have throughout the course of our day. We may have a dozen of them. Sure. Right. And are you going to allow those failures to culminate to when you go home, you're just a complete surly ass to be around, or are you going to respond to each one of them? Say, good, what happened? What have I learned? Mm -hmm. How can I employ this mindset and then get better? And you're able to shed that, go home and be present, be plugged in and spend quality time with the people that you love. Right. And so it's really a choice. And I think we have to be super intentional about those small things because inevitably they teach us how to deal with the big things. It does. You know, we, we, both of us listen to uh, Ben Bergeron quite a bit. And, um, you know, I've learned so much from the way he thinks about things. And, uh, you know, something that we practice here a lot is, is on the small, especially we start off with the small things when things don't go right, when failure comes, 
is it's hard to say it, but the first thing to do is, is physically and, you know, vocally say good, good, good. I'm, you know, good. This happened. Now I'm glad, not I'm glad this happened, but good. This happened because when I say good, my mind immediately goes, what the heck are you talking about? And it makes me start looking for what is that good, right? So what is that good? And what am I going to take from this? What am I going to learn from it? And, you know, everything, you know, my dad, I think I've said the podcast before, dad always says out of everything bad comes from the good if you just look for it. Right. And it's the same thing really dealing with mindset is, you know, something bad happened. Verbally, good. Now, why? Why is that good? What's going to come from it? And for us to start thinking through, and the, and the great thing is, the wisdom is not going to come from the immediate what came from it, but it starts our mind down that path. And it may be a mile down that road from a thought perspective. It may be a day, it may be a week before the real truth and the wisdom of why that happened is a good thing may come way down the road, right? You know, I, I talked earlier about my friend Israel, and he's always been really good about, man, he'll text me after a podcast and go, man, I love that. I love what you said about this. And I'm like, man, a guy, when he gets through this, he's going to have an amazing story, mm-hmm. a story of, of um, pain, forgiveness. There's a part in there I haven't talked about. Um, there's some things in there that he has become, become so wise and have such a great story that he'll, he's going to be able to share on a completely different level than what he has before. And I'm excited about what's going to come from it because he's going to be able to teach me some things that I've never gone through. How do you go through that? And how do you handle it? What would he have done different? You know, and, and knowing that and knowing how to set my mind when, when and if those things happen is huge for me. Yeah. I love that. The, it's powerful stories, man. And you know, the, th- the thing that I think of Tim is that as, as a man, I think our, my biggest fear is being found out. Yeah, right? yeah. I think we live our lives. We're so concerned about that. The world is going to realize that we're a fraud. Right. And we wake up every day and, and we work hard to educate ourselves, to get better as professionals, to make ourselves smarter, more intelligent or whatever, to, to widen that gap before the world figures out that we're right. just really not that good. Right. Right. And we do it through education. We do it through networking. We do it through professional experiences. And I think where a lot of people have that gap in keeping the world from finding out inevitably that we're a fraud is working on the mindset mm-hmm. of working through that failure. Right. Right. Because if you're so invested in, and, and this is, this is me to a T I'm so invested at being good at my job. Right. Mm-hmm. I want to be good at my job because I know that my performance directly impacts a livelihood of, of people up the chain of command with you and the Elliott family. Mm-hmm. And people down the chain of command, you know, to to Mike and to Cody and to everybody else, right? right? So I take that very seriously, and so I work hard. I've I've educated myself. I've done things to be a good chief operations officer. So what happens when you fail, right? Because if you're so invested and you and you want to be successful for the betterment of others and the betterment of your own family, that failure can hit hard, yeah. right? And it almost makes the mindset harder to employ you know, the more responsibility that you have, it mm-hmm. makes it harder. It doesn't make it easier, right. but you to leave that out is leaving out a valuable tool in your tool chest to really become a good, to, to be that the best professional that you can be, to be the best spouse that you can be is to work through and be able to find the growth in the, in, in all of the struggle. And we can't find those holes. You think about so professionally, you know, when those failures come, you're like, gosh, that's a hole. I'm not, I wasn't good. I didn't handle that right. 
good. You know what? I, I didn't know that hole was there. And now right. I know it. Now I can feel it. Now that I know what I'm going to do different next time, you became wiser and you just filled that hole. Right. And now you did become better. Yep. Um, man, I got to tell you, I've met some of the most famous, richest people in the world. And the more I'm around them, the more I realize they're just people. And they're no different than you and me. Their bank account may be bigger. They may be smarter, but how do they get that smart? You know, is there's people have different gifts. They're intellectually way smarter than me, but you know, street smart, maybe not so much, but you know, you, you, once you're around those people, you understand that so much of the aura that's around them is either a, from your mind thinking about what, that they're perfect and they're not right. But the other part is, man, they've learned how to be confident through those failures. And to me, that's one of the most successful people. One of the things they do best is how to go through failures, but come out of it more confident. And that's a mindset in and of itself. But that's what, when you see people that you feel like are super confident, that are super successful, a lot of that is what that, what you're seeing and what they're putting off is confidence, even in their failures, not confidence in I've got all this figured out because everybody knows just like you feel the way you're, mm-hmm. you know, they feel incompetent about things or they feel like they're a fraud, man, there's not a person in this world that doesn't feel that way. I can remember, you know, thinking about someone's first day in office as president of the United States, there can't be a higher yet lower point in anybody's life than realize that I'm now responsible. And I've told these people how brilliant I am and how I'm going to solve these problems. Guess what, buddy, you just got the job and talking about feeling like a fraud. You know, I mean, it just, I just can't imagine what that is, but you've got to figure out how to make those mistakes, how to fail, but come out of it confident. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if there's any better story to embody that than Ricky Bobby. You know, if you think about it at the beginning of the movie, you know, he's, yeah. I mean, he's just a big, bold American badass, just, you know, yeah. and, and he's, you know, what driving with a, with a wonder bread sticker on his windshield, like the, the, the guy's he's, got life figured out, right? He does. Yeah. And they get a set, he gets he just a wins. setback because he wouldn't say he loves crepes. Right. So he gets right. his arm broken. Yeah. Now he can't drive, you know, so now he's, he's out of the game for a little bit and it brings up a whole lot of emotions and he goes through those failures, but I'll tell you what, he comes back better. And it, and thank goodness he met the cougar, right? Because if it wasn't for the cougar. Um, you have to learn to live with the fear, I believe is, is the right term is to live with the fear. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's an all American, all American tale. It really is. It's, 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 it's the tale as old as time, as old as time. And, and he yeah. comes back and he, he helps not only himself win in life, but he helps his friend win on the track. He does because, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's about shake and bake that turns into the magic man. Absolutely. And, you know, Wrap it up by saying, if you don't chew Big Red. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, oh. there's literally no better way to end the podcast than, than that right I there. I love it. it and uh, we, we don't always end on a light note, but that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So I, there's so many stories. I'm going to stop there because I just want to go down that hill. Be like Ricky Bobby. Oh, just down the hill. Just <laughs> the song, the cut around the meat, you know, all those things. Those are just, there's so many great things to be taken from from Talladega Nights that um, are just gold nuggets of life. Maybe we can do a mini series sometime. I know. We we can add that right behind um, Ted, Ted Lasso. Lasso. Yeah. Yeah. Ted Lasso and Ricky Bobby coaching a team together. Oh, that would be classic. Man. But a water polo team or something like that. <laughs> be just poetic brilliance. I like that. I like <laughs> that. Or, you know, we just got the Olympics. They could be, um, what is it, the curling? They could be like in charge of the curling oh, team. Man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you talk about the embodiment of just physical perfection. Oh, I mean, greatness. I, 
physical perfection and greatness. I mean, it's them or bowlers. A, a mind, a, a mind is strong as an ox. Yeah, it's it's curling or bowling, which is really kind of the bowling on ice. It is. It is. It's about the touch. It really is. I think we're losing ourselves and our audience <laughs> on this one. Let's go ahead and wrap this one up. All right, man. Enjoyed it. It Thanks. was fun. Thanks. Bye.